Welcome to episode 8. The campfire is burning low, as Council tells John and Hogg about Polly the Dancing Witch, who came to be the ghost that haunts the Haint House. The next morning, John asks Route Hogg to return to a less scary tale, one about a giant frog and a huge snake. In one's time, you'll meet John Spellman. Well, I glanced over at Council, and he seemed to be totally lost in the images of his story. John's friend, Council Register. So Miss Polly glided onto the dance floor in the arms of her final partner, who just happened to be... And Route Hog. So that frog, we had made our bet as to whether or not that frog was the biggest frog Council had ever seen. Council had decided he was going to tell us the story about the tragedy at the Blue Spring Hotel. He said, Once time, it was 99 years ago this month. I believe it was 99 years ago this week, though I do misrecollect the exact date. There was a young woman said her name was Polly Dirtup. She's from Hancock, Maryland. Checked into the old hotel there. When the clerk asked her, well, what brings you to our hotel, Miss Dirtup? And she said in this loud voice, dancing, I love to dance, and that's why I wore my ball gown. And she swirled right around twice in the lobby, right there at the check-in desk, and her skirts billowed out around her, and just about all the men in the room, young and old, turned to look. Oh, Miss Polly was well-built and beautiful. She spoke loud and proud, and she could move like a dream. Well, said the fellow at the desk, we'll have your bags brought right up to your room. And Miss Polly replied, I ain't got no bags. I came to dance. And the fellow thought that was a little strange. Take the train from Maryland into West Virginia and don't bring anything but what's on your back. But she had paid cash for her room, and she was young and attractive, so... No questions were asked. And that night, when Miss Polly entered the ballroom shortly after the big string band had begun, the place was full of men who had come to try their hands, or their feet, actually, at dancing with her. And those who remembered her entrance through that archway from the lobby said it was as if she'd floated into the room, lifted up in the air an inch or so by the excitement of the music and the hundreds of flickering candles, the mirrored walls, and the dozens of men pushing their way toward her, holding out their dance cards for her to sign. And she signed them one after another until her schedule was completely full, and she begun to dance. Oh, Miss Polly, she was a wonderful dancer, swinging around the room to the rhythm of the high step and the waltz, the line and the square, her gown swaying, her face flushed with pleasure and a great toothy smile flashing on her face. And she almost shouted her pleasure. Oh, yes, yes, I love it. Oh, I love it. Turn me again and again. Oh, yes, I love it. I love this room and this music, and I love to dance. And Miss Polly danced, dance after dance after dance, each with a different man and each one seemingly bringing her more pleasure than the one before. And she became almost embarrassingly loud, 
At this point, I glanced over at counsel to see if there was any irony in his face following his own earlier statement about disturbing personal volume, but he seemed to be totally lost in the images of his story. He continued, Yeah, Miss Polly was now almost commanding the whole huge ballroom. Don't stop! Don't stop, y'all! I want to keep dancing forever! But in five more minutes, the music did stop, and couples begun to drift out into the lobby or out on the, out the French doors there onto the grounds. Oh, wait, wait, Polly tried again. Do not stop the music. Do not stop. But the band had been playing nonstop for nearly two hours, and it and the other dancers, they wanted a break. Oh, come on, Miss Polly, said her escort at the moment. It's just a short break. Let me show you the formal gardens and the cool pool waters. And he led her out into the night, down into the formal gardens where the bushes had been cut into the shapes of exotic animals, hoping he could be alone with her for a few minutes under the full moon. But four or five other men had followed them, and Polly herself broke any possible romantic mood with a loud proclamation Oh, yes, it is so beautiful here, by this water, this cool pool, under this moon, this sweet moon, by this beautiful building. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I could stay here forever and dance and dance. Oh, the music has begun again. Come on. And she ran back into the ballroom and danced for another two hours, becoming so excited and so loud that more than one man actually changed his mind and did not take advantage of his scheduled opportunity to dance with her. But a new partner always stepped forth, and Polly danced nonstop until finally, 40 minutes later than usual, the hotel manager signaled the orchestra to pause and announced that there will be one final dance now, but please come back tomorrow and join us tomorrow evening. And then Miss Polly glided onto the floor in the arms of her final partner, who happened to be the young and handsome husband of Jock's granddaughter. He was, in other words, the son-in-law of the couple who owned the hotel. And when Polly found out who he was, she said, Oh, then you can get them to keep playing. Do it. Don't let them stop. Make them play on and on and on. Make them play forever. Well, of course, Miss Polly, he said. For you, they will play forever. Just joking with her, don't you know? And then five minutes later, the orchestra stopped. And the young man smiled and said, Miss Polly, we hope to have the pleasure of your company tomorrow evening as well. And he bowed to her like, like they still did in those days. But the poor young fellow never stood back up. He grunted, groaned, and fell right forward onto his face like a log out of the back of a pickup. Whap! Several of his friends ran to him and turned him over. He was unmistakably dead. But at first they could find no mark or bruise upon his body until they found buried deep within his chest, directly in his heart, the small, elegantly shaped little finger of a woman. And they looked up to see Miss Polly, her back pressed against a mirrored wall, her left hand tucked inside her right. She had a smirk on her face, and there seemed to be a 
blue light popping from her eyes. Uh, he told me he would make the music play on. He lied. No one lies to Miss Polly. And her teeth pulled back in a snarl, and they could see that she had large side teeth like a beast. But still, one of the men tried to comfort her. Oh, Miss Polly, Miss Polly, he, he meant no harm, he said, and he took her hand, and instantly he pulled back in horror. The little finger on her left hand was gone, and all that remained was a bleeding stump. Uh, she's a witch, screamed another man, a witch, tear her apart. And they threw Polly to the ground and began yanking at her arms and legs, because that's one of the best ways to kill a witch, you know, you rip off their limbs, but... She was too strong for them, and she leapt up and ran out into the night, pursued by a half-dozen furious and determined men. She ran right through some trees and would have gotten away, except that she came right up against the creek pool and a semicircle of men, now armed with sticks and logs and knives, was closing in on her. She backed to the very edge of the water, growling and cursing. Ah, you'll never take me, never. And she turned and dove into the water, aiming to reach the other side. But she was wearing that fancy dancing dress, and its wet weight pulled her to the bottom, and she drowned. Anne said, Counsel, the very next day, that fine old hotel was closed by the grieving family of the young man who had died, and it has never reopened. But they do say you can still see, sometimes, pieces of Polly's ball gown floating in that pool. Our fire had again burned down to a few scattered coals. Council and Routhog were invisible in the darkness on the other side of the fire pit. An owl hooted in a nearby tree. Two coals blinked and disappeared. It was very quiet. And since then, said counsel, since that one night of joy became a night of horror, eight more men have been found dead in the ruins of that old hotel or on the grounds near it each with a finger, or in one case, the thumb of a young woman buried deep within their hearts. Routhog yawned and stretched. Oh, I am bushed. Let's hit the hay, he said. And I heard him fall back onto his bedroll, and in only a few minutes he and Council were both deep asleep. I could not sleep, or more accurately, I dared not sleep. I mean, we were very close to that old house. And for some hours, actually, I sat up on the outside of my sleeping bag, my flashlight and open pocket knife handy, and I listened to the sounds of the night. Two or three times I heard animals moving in the underbrush, but they did not frighten me. Until... Directly next to me came the rasp of a very sharp sound. I snapped on my flashlight and was fumbling for my knife when I realized it was Hog. Route Hog had rolled over on his back and snorted. I was relieved, actually. And, and Council was still there, too. He also was alive, 
groaning and then sighing as if in a sweet dream. Several times after that, I almost nodded off, but each time was awakened by hearing what I was sure were the faint sounds of old-time dance music played on string instruments. Until finally, exhausted, I flipped around and dropped face down onto my sleeping bag. And then froze, breathless with fear, a hard, sharp point had begun to penetrate my chest. I raised myself up on my hands. The pain stopped. Oh, oh! I, I had flopped myself right onto the root of a tree. <laughs> I moved my sleeping bag and pad closer to the now dead fire and my snoozing friends. And finally I fell asleep. And when I awoke rather late the next morning, I realized I had been dreaming of a giant frog in a huge ball gown playing a violin and then drowning in a river. Whoa, why, I thought, did I dream of a frog? And then I remembered that Routhog had been telling me about the time he and Council had seen a large frog and had made a bet about it. Hey, I asked Routhog, hey, uh, we were eating a little breakfast of coffee and store-bought rolls. Hog, whatever happened with that huge frog you and Council saw? Oh, yeah, Hog said. Yeah, that was pretty interesting, eh, Council? Oh, that frog sure was, Hog. We bet each other the six dollars. Actually, it was six dollars and sixteen cents. And then Council picked up a latrine trowel and headed off into the woods. Good, said Routhog. Maybe I can finish this story before he gets back. So, see, we had made our bet as to whether or not that frog was the biggest frog council had ever seen. And then we tiptoed back down the path to where that frog was still sitting on the rock. And I put one forefinger on my lips and I used my other to point to the frog. And council looked at it and then pulled his head back on his neck and did the biggest double-take I have ever seen. Golly! He almost bellowed. Golly! That is the biggest frog I have ever seen. Counselor, it's going to be the last frog you ever saw if you don't hush up. Be quiet. I want to watch this thing. See, John, I'd been puzzling about frogs, and I'd asked a few people about them, and I had figured out that this was the kind of frog that could just snap out its long tongue and snatch bugs out of the air, and this particular frog looked big enough to eat a bird. I just wanted to see what would happen. And my wish was about to be granted. Two very large dragonflies came hovering along just over the surface of the water, and the frog saw them, and he shifted slightly to point himself toward them, and his lips actually began to twitch. Oh, watch this, Council, I said. That frog is going to eat those bugs. Oh, bet he misses them both, said Council. Eighty-six cents on each bug. Oh, you are on, I said. How could I lose? But before that frog even had a chance to try for those bugs, something else happened, Smellman. Something else came up out of the water, blip, onto the rock behind the frog. The frog never seen it. It was a snake. 
Now, now, I don't know what kind, John. It was one of those water snakes, big, dark, dank, ugly thing, thick and strong enough looking. Whoa, he was just sliding up onto that large rock to sun himself, I guess, but when his head came up out of the water and he saw that frog with his back to him, well, he just froze. The way snakes do, don't you know, just froze there, or his head did, while the rest of his body just kept coming out of the water and coiling up on a rock under the head, everything getting ready to haul in some lunch. Oh, watch this, I whispered to counsel. That snake is going to eat that frog. Oh, city boy, said, city boy, said counsel, you don't know nothing. Don't you see the size of that frog, boy? That frog is going to eat that snake. Oh, listen, I said to counsel, I may not live in West by God, Virginia, but I am not a total idiot. Frogs don't eat snakes. That snake is going to eat that frog. I'll put your money where your mouth is. I got $31.28, says the frog is the eater. You are on, I said, and this time you better pay me thirty-one twenty-eight. Oh, John, I knew I'd won. We had no sooner made that bet than that big snake opened his mouth wide, the hinge way back, don't you know, and stretched out and sunk his teeth right into that big frog's backside. Now the frog tried to jump off into the water, but the snake was too big and too strong and kept him up on the rock. And they were thrashing around as the snake started to swallow the frog. And snakes don't chew things, you know, Smellman. They just swallow them down in one piece. So there was that frog going rear end first down the snake's mouth, one gulp at a time. Counsel, I said to him, give me my money. And I was going to pay you too, wasn't I, asked Counsel, as he reappeared out of the bushes with his trowel. Oh, yeah, said Rathog, Rathog. Believe it or not, Counsel was actually reaching for his wallet, unheard of. When this amazing thing happened, as the frog and the snake were both rolling around on the rock, the snake's tail got caught in front of the snake's mouth, and all of a sudden, the frog got his jaws around that snake's tail, and the frog started to eat the snake. But at the other end, see, the snake was still eating the frog. They were eating each other. Oh, true, I asked. Is, is that true? Oh, scouts honor, said counsel. I've never seen anything like it. You know, John, it was weird. It was weirder even than that time I seen that mermaid. <laughs>